This is Rumble, and I'm Michael Moore. Well, it's been a pretty uh, crazy time here. Since I last spoke to you, we posted our emergency podcast system episode of Rumble uh, early Friday morning, about maybe seven hours after uh, Trump tweeted that he had the coronavirus. He didn't call it the China flu in his tweet. And um, nothing like a little death scare to smack the racism out of you. So we uh, last spoke to you on this emergency uh, podcast. And uh, this was, of course, before he was medevaced to the hospital on Marine One on the helicopter there. There's a lot going on. One thing is very clear, and I want to thank everybody who listened to that podcast and shared it, and to everybody who read my uh, Facebook uh, post. When is it that you believe what Trump is saying? And the safe position to always take is that never believe whatever it is he's saying. Make him prove what he's saying is correct. So you make the assumption that it's a lie, and then he has to prove it isn't a lie. That's really the only way to deal with him. So by Saturday morning, uh, when the doctors came out around noontime with their lab coats uh, there at uh, Walter Reed Hospital, 10 of them, uh, to address uh, the press, uh, it was a real crazy press conference uh, where the doctors contradicted each other. Uh, they didn't know how long he had actually been infected with the coronavirus. Still, as I'm recording this, don't know that. Um, he may have had it for uh, the better part of the last week. He may have been asymptomatic until uh, they tested him. They may have tested him as early as Wednesday, not uh, uh, on um, Thursday night uh, or Friday morning. It's a lot of questions up in the air. The main thing that became clear by uh, the end of the day Saturday is that the point of uh, the emergency podcast remains true, that he's lying. He's lying and they're lying for him. Now, what he's lying about, that we don't know. You know, if it's, I think it's okay to take the position that he you know, he's probably has COVID-19, but it turned out that, that that wasn't what the lie was about. He may have been lying about uh, all the other circumstances around COVID-19, how he got it, how long he had it, who he infected. It looks like now many people are, are infected about nine, by last count, now nine or 10 of, in his inner circle and a, another 15 or so that were anywhere around the debate in Cleveland or the debate prep or uh, the fundraiser he had on Thursday night. God knows how many people uh, he's infected. During all this, what got lost on, uh, on Friday is the investigation by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation as to what's the number one you know, cause of the spread of the coronavirus. And they basically came up with Donald Trump. Donald Trump's uh, misinformation, lying, ignorance, stupid comments um, have convinced millions in the United States, but also around the world, that it's not what they say it is. It could be a hoax, et cetera, et cetera. And that has caused a lot of people to uh, get the virus and to die. So we're going to deal with that right up first here uh, with our first and only guest um, on Rumble today. But then after, after she and I speak, um, I'm going to come back. And I want to talk to you about what I think is happening right now. The word we just got just before we um, hit record here, that the police or the Secret Service or somebody is blocking off central Washington, D.C. with um, uh, dump trucks, snow plows, et cetera. A huge swath of central Washington, D.C. from 9th Street all the way to 19th Street around the White House. 
and farther. Why is that happening? What are they preparing for? What do they know that we don't know? There are no protests planned tonight uh, for Black Lives Matter or whatever. So what's going on? What are they afraid of when it comes to Trump and Trump being in the hospital? So we'll deal with all that later. But to begin with, I want to introduce our guest here uh, today. One of the more than 200,000 Americans to die from coronavirus was Mark Anthony Urquiza. Mark was from Tolleson, Arizona. After his death, his daughter, Kristen, refused to be silent about why this healthy 65-year-old father is no longer with us, according to his daughter, because of the lies, the mismanagement, and the misinformation about the pandemic that has been coming out of the mouth of Donald J. Trump and his allies in the media. She addressed the Democratic Convention and was invited by the Biden campaign to attend the first debate this past week in Cleveland. I welcome to Rumble, Kristen Urquiza. Kristen, how are you? It's been quite a week on top of quite a year. Um, I'm upset, um, but I'm happy to be here talking to you. So thanks for having me on. Well, they, no, I know. I, and I so appreciate it. I know how hard this year has, has been for you. If you don't mind, can I just read, you wrote uh, your father's obituary. Mm-hmm. I just, I want to, um, I just want to read the last paragraph of this because I was very moved by it. I was moved by all the other stuff too. Your father was a state track champion yes. in high school. Yeah. No, all these other things where you speak of his life and, oh my God, and his siblings mm-hmm. and his siblings' spouses. Look at this. Yes. Oh my God. And everyone still lives in Arizona. They are so They're still there. Wow. Mm -hmm. So it's like, this is, see, it doesn't just affect the person who passed away. That's right. Or the spouse or the daughter, but there's all these other people in what your dad's life seemed like such a rich and full life, full of family and friends and neighbors. And and, um, let me just want to read the the last paragraph of, of this obituary that you wrote. Sure. Mark, like so many others, should not have died from COVID-19. His death is due to the carelessness of the politicians who continue to jeopardize the health of brown bodies through a clear lack of leadership, refusal to acknowledge the severity of this crisis, and the inability and unwillingness to give clear and decisive direction on how to minimize risk. Mark's daughter, Kristen Danielle, and daughter-in-law, Christine, are channeling our sadness and rage into building an awareness campaign so fewer families are forced to endure this. We honor Mark's life by continuing this fight for others, even in these darkest moments. Kristen Danielle will be starting an ofrenda, which is an altar with pictures of those lost to COVID-19 outside the Arizona State Capitol building on Wednesday evening at 4.30 p.m. This was back when the obituary was posted. All are welcome to bring pictures of their loved ones who are suffering from COVID or who have passed. For more information, follow at Marked by COVID on Facebook. So um, your father passed away in which month? June 30th. On June 30th, he passed away. And this was the obituary uh, that you uh, wrote. 
and uh, posted along with your sister-in-law. When you spoke at the Democratic Convention, frankly, I couldn't stop crying. And wow. I know, I know, <laughs> I was not alone. The tears came from millions, tens of millions, who saw and heard you. My dad was a healthy 65-year-old. His only pre-existing condition was trusting Donald Trump, and for that, he paid with his life. And so, for the people that didn't see it, and I'll, I'll post it on the podcast page here with a link. Those of you listening can can watch uh, Kristen's um, DNC speech. Um, would you please like just give those who don't know or didn't hear it the the background in terms of what happened and uh, what you said and why you said it at at the convention? Yeah, um, my dad was a Trump supporter, and we you know didn't see eye to eye on on many political issues, um, but. You know, the fact that he trusted Trump, he voted for him, he believed him when he said we were on the other side of the pandemic, and he believed the governor of Arizona, Doug Ducey, Trump's you know, partner in crime, that it was safe to be out there if you were, you know, healthy and didn't have an underlying health condition. So when the state of Arizona rushed to reopen on May 15th, after the president visited on May 5th, which mind you was his first public appearance from his own quarantine from the shutdowns Mm. on a, you know, PR spree. um, My dad who believed the virus was a risk, who wore a mask, who practiced social distancing, who took daily phone calls from his only daughter um, saying, Hey, Boomer, what are you doing? (laughs) Let's talk about your coronavirus (laughs) plan. (laughs) Um, He, started to question how he was interacting with the world and his behavior changed. And I said to him, dad, um, you know, it's still not safe. We have, we don't have a vaccine. We don't have herd immunity. Um, it's not safe to be out there. And my dad's response was, well, Kristen, if it wasn't safe, why would the governor be saying that it's safe if you don't have underlying health conditions? Why would the president say we it's safe? And, you know, my response to, to him was, <laughs> but it's not safe. And I think that it's so important for me to tell that story over and over again, because my dad and I were close. My dad and I talked every day. And yet I still was unable to compete with the lies coming out of the White House and reinforced mm. on Fox News. Wow. Right. And so a couple weeks after the state reopened, my dad woke up with um, a a light fever, chills, a cough, fatigue, symptoms that I have been reading the president has currently. And, um, you know, my mom called me and said, this is what's going on. And I said, mom, it sounds like he has COVID. We need to get him tested. And then began a 19-day journey um, that un- resulted in my dad losing his life. 19 days later. 19 days later. He passed on June 30th. Wow. So you said, you know, he, he in spite of uh, what Fox News was telling him not to worry, this was a hoax or whatever, he still was careful. He wore a mask. He did. Have, any, have you guys figured out what happened? We suspect um, he contracted it at a karaoke restaurant. Oh, so that, yeah. Yeah. Right. My dad, um, 
you know, you, you alluded to this earlier. He was such a unofficial ambassador to our community. He was the guy, and, and we're Mexican too, so we love to come together and celebrate funerals, we ceremonies, uh, marriages, baseball games, like you name it, we come together. And my dad was kind of the center of bringing the family and extended community together. And one of his favorite activities was karaoke. And so whenever folks started calling to say, well, you know, karaoke place is open. My dad went to karaoke a couple of times. And, you know, I I suspect that is where he contracted Mm. the virus. Mm. Wow. So when you got the news of this, I mean, obviously this must have affected your, your, his only child and he's your only dad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, had been from January so concerned and so diligent about working to protect my parents. I, I knew that this was a big deal. I also know that when public health disasters get out of control, it's not Beverly Hills that is shouldering the brunt of the mess up. It's neighborhoods like my dad's, which is 70% um, Hispanic, mostly immigrant um, folks who live, you know, close to the poverty line. And so I have been worried or was worried for months about the safety of my parents because I knew that they were at higher risk, not medically, but because of the social injustices that have kept disinvestment from their community in my childhood neighborhood at bay. Um, so yeah, when I got that phone call, I I went into I went into crisis mode and you know was pulled up a document and started tracking my dad's symptoms and calling to get figured out how to get him tested and just you know really was ready to do anything to make sure that he got the best care as quickly as possible. And honestly, I'm a little burned at this exact moment on that topic in particular. Because he didn't get medevaced <laughs> on, on Marine One or um, have 10 doctors in, in white coats standing there. Yeah, the, yeah. the that I see is, you know, his the decision to take Donald Trump to the hospital was out in a, of an abundance of caution for his care. Mm. My dad woke up with the same exact, at least reported, um, symptoms as Donald Trump. But when he went to go get tested, um, the doctor told him to go home and write it out. And if he couldn't breathe, then to come to the hospital. So five days passed before my dad woke up, unable to breathe, and then was rushed to the hospital. My dad did not get remdesivir on day one that he woke up with the virus. My dad did not get convalescent plasma treatment until later. And, you know, maybe my dad, the same outcome would have happened. But the fact remains that my dad's story is not unique. People in the Rio Grande Valley wait have waited for three hours for an ambulance. People in Miami are waiting up to 14 days to get test results before they can go to a hospital. And these people deserve (laughs) care at the same level as, you know, anybody else. And so while I don't, I just, it, the irony of it 
the, the, I talked about this in my speech. This is a clear example of the two Americas that we're living in. Right. Donald Trump's America and ours. I'm worried about you. Um, you were invited by the Biden family uh, this uh, past week to the debate, the first presidential debate in Cleveland, and you went. Um, and there you were in the audience, um, fairly close uh, to the stage, if I recall, seeing you there. And so you're maybe, I don't know, 15 feet from the stage. Yep. And, okay. So, and then in walks, I don't mean to put words in your mouth. I'm just, I'm putting myself in your shoes. That if this had happened to my father and I was sitting there, I would think, yes, in walks, here he is, the killer. Mm-hmm. The killer of my father and so many other people. Um, the, um, if you want to be kind, you can call it manslaughter um, because it was done out of ignorance or recklessness. Um, I, I'm not that kind about it because I've never thought of Donald Trump as a complete idiot. I actually think he's an evil genius. And the genius part knew, as we now listening to the Bob Woodward tapes, he knew back in February, he said to Woodward, this is a killer. This is, this is airborne. This is, you know, in March and in April on the tapes, he called it the plague. Mm -hmm. He said, Bob, this is bad. This is really, really bad. You know, this is, this is worse than the worst flu. This is at a time when he was telling us, the public, your dad, that, hey, it's just like the flu. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I, I, I'm just, I just, I felt for you in that moment. And I just thought, what was going through your mind seeing the killer <laughs> walk onto the stage? But also, if I'm correct, you're in that audience. And I see Ivanka and Don Jr. and um, uh, their spouses and other friends and, and they're not, they've got no mask on. Right. And you must, so how close were you sitting to them? I was about 15 feet away from them. I was from them too. So, yeah. So you're right there in the, oh man. Okay. So I just, I'm just going to let you tell us what the, what the hell was going on there? Mm-hmm. How are you feeling? And, and, you know, are you okay right now? Because I mean, this is down, you and I are talking on Saturday, um, February 3rd. So uh, we're maybe uh, one, two, three, four. We're four days away uh, out of uh, after the debate, four days. Um, and, and we now know as just as the news was coming in before you and I started here, and I'm sure it'll be updated by the time people are listening to this on the podcast, but um, the doctor at Bethesda in, in Walter Reed there, he came out and he said that uh, Trump got this uh, 72 hours ago. Well, that's Wednesday. That's mm-hmm. the morning. That's the morning after you that were there that, that they tested and they found that he had, it doesn't mean that's when he got it. He could have been asymptomatic for many days before that, including the day of the debate, including when you're sitting there, these 15 feet from him and his family, you're processing this at the same time I am. So you, you and I have heard the same news today. Yes. I'm not okay. And um, I'm not okay emotionally. 
I'm not okay because I agreed to a set of rules that were promised to me that everybody would agree to and would be implemented. And at the debate. Yes. And that was everyone, everyone agreed to wear a mask inside and everyone um, agreed to take a COVID rapid test and only um, negative folks were allowed in. Did you and take it? I did. Yes. And I wore a mask and I was negative and I, you know, in putting together this timeline, it has become clear and Chris Wallace has confirmed that the Trump family and Air Force One arrived too late to be tested and that they use the honor system. Well, <laughs> when I did not agree to trust Donald Trump. I agreed what's the, to- what's the, yeah, what, what's the honor system? You mean they were asked if they had tested and then they said yes? Exactly. Which means they lied. Right. And decided once again to put public health, to put my life, to put the lives of every single person in that debate hall at risk for political gain, for his own purposes, so that he could stand on that stage and try to appear to be a strong man bully, to appear to his to appeal to his base and to rile up fascist groups that I won't even name here because they do not deserve an ounce of my oxygen. Um, I'm pissed. This is unacceptable, but it's also a microcosm of what's been happening over and over again over the course of the last several months. And, you know, if my dad were still here, There's no doubt in my mind that he would be banging down the door of Walter Reed Hospital demanding answers because this man endangered his only child's life. And it's still endangered because the symptoms may not show up for up to seven days or actually 14 days. So he, if he had it beforehand and he was asymptomatic, um, you're 15 feet from him. And that whole, for an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes, he's just spewing. Yes. Yelling. Yes. Right there in front of you. And, and well, okay, so you've been tested. You were tested right that day, but you were, you've been tested since. I'm getting tested later this afternoon. You're going to be tested. Oh, Jesus. Listen, here's the thing. Even that test, Kristen, as you know, mm-hmm. um, that, uh, if he was asymptomatic on Tuesday, this is just four days later. So we're still in the zone here where even if you tested negative today, you could test positive tomorrow or Monday. Yep. Um, Which is why I'm quarantining. It's why I am not, you know, I'm taking this seriously because I could be a COVID carrier. And when you carry COVID, whether you're symptomatic or not, you are a deadly vector. Right. And that is a responsibility that I do not take lightly. And you're most dangerous during those last few days when you're asymptomatic before you start to feel the symptoms. Yes. You're, you're most dangerous then. And which would mean Trump, if he was asymptomatic then on Tuesday, was most dangerous then. And, you know, I don't know. I could be, I'm just going to throw this out there because. You know, I've observed Trump for many, many years, mm-hmm. and and because I respect his evil genius, 
um, that he's not just a doofus, that um, the reason, one of the reasons, I think, well, the main reason they wanted to get there late on Air Force One on um, Tuesday, got there very late uh, at the end of the afternoon. So there could be, couldn't even do a mic check, couldn't do any, couldn't do, and they couldn't, and they knew they would get there too late to be tested and have results of the test. They just, they, I mean, right? I suspect the same exact thing. And he, and he knows, get this though, because he, remember, they're tested every day in the White House. So he knows, he knows by then that um, he has it. But in probably typical Trump fashion, he's like, well, I don't feel anything. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, and, um, and he's got to do the debate. But he was weird during the debate. If you go back and look at it now, it's not that he was looking like he was ill or had the flu or anything like that, but, but there was something that charged him up and he was wound more than he's ever been wound. Yes. Right? I, so thank you. I, so one of the things I also agreed to, <laughs> Michael, was to not respond in the room. And that was not just me. That was all the attendees to be quiet, not to clap, not to boo, not to say yay. But I was 15 feet away from the person who is responsible for my dad's death and had to witness him in 100% in living color, authenticity to the ninth degree. And I felt so terrified and I just kept on thinking to myself, this is a form of torture. I can't turn this down. I can't walk away from it. I know my friends back home are like throwing stuffed animals at the television. I can't do that. Um, But then to add on top of that, the fact that for 90 minutes he was spewing dangerous viral cells out into my direction and everybody else's. I, I am disgusted. This man has no regard for human life. You know, I, um, I'm feeling in my own kind of fatherly way, I am feeling very worried for you and for everybody else who was in there. Um, this is an enclosed theater. Yes. So you're in that theater in Cleveland. And I just, I can't, I just do not, I don't say, I don't want to say it out loud. I don't want to go there. I don't want to even think, I don't even know what you're going through right now that, that you're still in this seven day period where you may have it, you, you may have it and be fine. You may have it and, and not have any symptoms. Um, you're not going to really know for sure probably until Monday or, or Tuesday. And um, when you say that your dad would be banging on the door of Walter Reed right now, um, I have to tell you, and you know, you and I have never met. You're my daughter's age. Um, if anything were to happen to you because of this, because of him, because he knew, because he's always known, he's known since the beginning of February, end of January. Um. I will be banging on some doors. 
I will, I will do, I will do the either that physically or I will do the equivalent of it. Um, because uh, let's just leave it at that. Nothing can happen to you. Um, I feel the fatherly love, and I'm sorry to, I'm sorry, no, I'm so I, I, upset yeah. just at the thought of this. It's just, I hear the care in your voice, and. On behalf of my dad, who's not here to protect me any longer, thank you. No, it's okay. I'm a uh, yes. Well, you're welcome. But I'm not. I don't just say these things to say. I'm like I'm one of those people. You, you, you eat with your heart. Well, I yes, and I and I and I am. Uh, I I I like millions of others right now are in action mode. Mm-hmm. Good. Right. Yes. Aren't we all? And, yeah. uh, and, uh, um, we do it to protect you. We do it to protect the people in that theater. We do it to protect everybody else. We do it to protect, especially the people who aren't white who are getting this at a far, far greater rate, yes. uh, than white people are getting it. And, um, and this madness cannot end soon enough, as far as I'm concerned. I don't join with the people online who are who are kind of wishing Trump dead because um, that's too easy. Mm-hmm. I want I want him to live and I want him to face the American people on November third. I agree. Right. I said from the very beginning I would not wish this virus upon my worst enemy, and quite frankly, that my worst enemy now has it, and I want him to live. I want him to recover, and I want him to see the referendum that's coming on November 3rd. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, the, the, the fact that he, that we have been lied to even in these last 24 hours when that doctor said it was 72 hours ago, and then he tried to make it up later and say, I meant to say it was like day, this is Saturday is day three. Well, actually um, Trump told us this in a tweet at 1254 AM on Friday morning. You and I are talking on Saturday. There's no three days. Right. This is this is the, the, the first 24-hour period from when Trump told us he had it. And he told us right away because that much we've learned that he, he didn't want it leaked out. He wanted to control it. And so when that doctor, at Walter Reed, said that, it, it was the first 24-hour period had ended at one in the morning today, our time, today, Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then 12 hours later, the doctor is saying it's 72 hours. It was really 36 hours, which is half of 72. And man, when you've got a doctor, they can't do math. <laughs> you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I think what you're, you know, what I've been thinking about over the last couple of days as I've been confronting this disease in a new way and thinking about my own susceptibility and mortality and thinking about the families that I've been in contact with over the course of the last several months since my dad has passed, who have had stories of loss like mine. I just keep coming to the same conclusion that we can never expect Donald Trump to tell us the truth and we can never expect him to follow any rule that is created by anybody other than himself. And that's exactly what played out over the course of this debate. I entrusted 
Cleveland Clinic and entrusted the Commission on Debates to enforce the rules that we all agreed to. But yet again, Donald Trump did what he wanted to do at any cost for his own political gain. And they didn't stand up to him. They didn't stand up to him. No, they did not stand up to them. So can I just vent for a second about the highly respected Cleveland Clinic? And I'm, we've seen the footage of the doctor going down to the Trump family rows and saying, here's some masks. So let's have the masks on. And they've, they, shushed, they shushed her away. Yep. At that point, God damn it, I'm so angry. At that point, that, is he that much of a bully that the Cleveland Clinic and Case Western Reserve University and the Commission on Debates can't just say, sorry, you're not going to wear the masks. You're not going to, you got here too late to get tested. The debate is either postponed or we're going to hold for an hour. I mean, we saw it in full display over the course of the 90 minute conversation where, you know, Chris Wallace didn't even take hold of the conversation and enforce the rules that were agreed upon there. And to your point, you know, he is a bully. And I do think that institutions are are afraid of him, but also because he holds the power of the office of the president, there is a power dynamic inherent in that where it takes a very brave institution or a daughter who is mourning her dead dad to stand up to a bully and say, no, this is not okay. Wow. I hope they, I hope Cleveland Clinic and Case Western understand the huge public disappointment uh, in this. Um, and, and to Chris Wallace too, jeez, you know, even it was one point, if you remember during the debate, he's trying to get Trump to just behave and, mm-hmm. um, and, and like, like the way you would do it to a petulant child, to a five-year-old who's in a temper tantrum, um, Wallace begins the next question with, uh, now, um, Mr. Mr. President, um, you'll like this question. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Like he's, he's hoping to, to here, here, here's a, here's a toy. You'll mm-hmm. like this toy. Here comes a qu- good question. One that you'll like. Wow. I thought, holy man. I, I'm like Chris Wallace, the son of Mike Wallace having to just diminish himself in this way just to try to get control of that debate. I mean, sitting that close as you were, it must have, what kind of shit show did you think you were in, in the middle of? Because it was, it just on TV, it was, it was crazy enough. Yeah. I mean, I, the words shit show came to mind as it was unfolding. Um, I mean, there was a point where I leaned over to Dr. Biden, who was sitting uh, next to me and say, I, I said, I am really sorry that, your husband doesn't have the opportunity to debate an adult. He deserves that. And the American people deserve that. I mean, he was on full display that evening. And we now know that he was on full display as a coronavirus carrier. And I, um, yeah, I feel for every single person in that auditorium, I in particular feel for the workers, the janitors, the other folks who have a right to a safe workplace who were exposed to this virus just because they were trying to do their job. 
it's just the ripple effects of this are infinite. So Kristen, the, coming up, I don't know, is it this week or next week, you've put together something that we can all participate yeah. in uh, this, this week of mourning. Would you explain what this is and how it's going to work when it is the, because I, I, I heard about this and I thought, oh, this is such a great idea. Thanks. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. Um, so when my dad passed, I launched a non- nonprofit called Marked by COVID. Uh, my dad's name is Mark, so it's a little bit of a nod to him. But it is a, a really a campaign that is available not just to folks who have lost a loved one, but COVID survivors, other frontline and essential workers to share their stories and demand accountability. And one thing that I've really come to uh, realize, and this happened after pretty recently after September 11th this past year, is that the lack of recognition is so harmful to COVID survivors and COVID families. And let me tell you why. So I could not engage in the September 11th remembrance ceremonies. I, I found myself on September 11th just uncomfortable in my body. I was just feeling a lot. And I realized I needed to interrogate that. And it came down to this. We are used to, in this country, experiencing tragedy very quickly. Two airplanes run into a, fly into a building and almost 3,000 people die. A lone gunman enters into an elementary school and kills 26 people, including 20 kindergartners. And in those instances and countless others, we (laughs) did basic things like acknowledge that that was real and that it happened. We took time to honor the people who had been missing. And in the case of September 11th, we vowed to never forget. And in that vow to never forget, we completely changed our culture, our policies. We've given up so much of our rights with the Patriot Act, with different departments that exist, so on and so forth. And for me, I am on a quest right now to ensure that we never forget what happened here in the United States when it comes to the pandemic and who was responsible. I do will not allow for the Christopher Columbus version of breaking bread with Indians, be what is taught to children. And I want to make sure that we are honoring people who have already passed by being honest that this was because the president failed us, because we didn't have a coordinated data-driven response so that this does not happen ever again. And I think that starts with allowing ourselves to mourn, to grieve together, to carve out space, to bear witness to the ripple effects of tragedy that are in our day-to-day lives as a result of our pandemic response. So the week of mourning is we're hosting daily live streams at noon Eastern. Each day we'll have a theme. Uh, They're open to the public, free, free. the website is weekofmorning.com uh, where you can register. And when uh, is the when is the week? We start Sunday. So most people will probably listen to this on Sunday. So Sunday, this is Sunday. We're talking Sunday, October 4th. Yes. Through, through Sunday, October 11th. Okay. Uh, and there'll be daily um, 
noon Eastern live cast where we'll have a program that's similar. It's and similar, but each day we'll have a different theme. I will thematically honor healthcare workers one day, people of color another day, teachers another day, different communities that really have been bearing the weight of loss and observe together a moment of silence. And over the course of the 30 minutes, we'll also read the names of 120 people. And the reason why I chose 120 people is because we're still in this pandemic and every 15 seconds, somebody in the United States dies from coronavirus. 120 people will be the amount of people that die over the course of that 30 minute live stream collective morning. And so I am hopeful that that helps to spark the conversation as well as inspire others to mourn out loud, to give themselves permission to mourn and to bear witness to the grief that we are all feeling right now. This is a beautiful idea. This is so good. So just to repeat, uh, the week of mourning is what it's called, weekofmourning.com. It begins uh, essentially today on Sunday, um, October 4th. And each day from today through next Sunday, October 11th, at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, um, there will be this um, ceremony, essentially, right? Yeah. That you can listen to on the site on weekofmorning.com. Uh, will it also be on Facebook Live or anything uh, like that? Yeah. Facebook Live will also um, on our website, uh, week of morning, weekofmorning.com, and then our markbycovid.com website as well. Okay. And, and so, and in those 30 minutes, there'll be when the moment of silence will be right at noon Eastern, um, or is it sometime during the ceremony? It'll be in the middle of the ceremony. Right. So if you're out driving a car or whatever, and you, you're not available then, at, at some time between noon and 12.30 p.m. or 9 and 9.30 a.m. on the West Coast, um, you can do that. You can have, do that remembrance. You can do that moment of silence. Um, and, and you'll read the names of the 120 people who will die during the 30 minutes of, yeah. of the uh, ceremony of the remembrance. And, um, and then you'll have a focus each day on those who've carried the burden, be it essential workers, people of color, teachers, et cetera. Wow, that's, it just sounds like a beautiful thing. I certainly will uh, uh, tune in uh, each day uh, to it. Weekofmourning.com. And um, uh, for people who went to my high school, mourning is spelled M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. <laughs> no, that's an awful thing to say. I went to a really good high school, actually. It was a very good public school uh, just outside of Flint, Michigan. But week of mourning, as in mourning the dead, weekofmourning.com. Uh, starting on Sunday here right now, October 4th. So we'll do that. We'll do that with you. Is there anything else you'd like us to do? Anything else we should be thinking about? I mean, it's an important season of elections upon us. Um, So we talked about this earlier, but vote like your life depends on it and make sure that your family members vote too. Yes. I can't... uh, it's it's um it's incumbent upon all of us to be good citizens right now. Um, part of that's wearing that mask, and part of that is um, showing up to have your voice heard. Um, you've really shown up, Kristen. Um, 
I'm assuming you've never been an elected official. You're not a politician. You have no uh, experience doing what you've been doing for the last few months, but it's been amazing. And I think about this all the time of how many, how many of our fellow citizens um, would rise to the occasion if need be, like you have. It's, it's very powerful. It's very moving. It's inspiring. Um, I, uh, I'm going to post a picture of your dad too on the podcast page here. He looks like such a great guy, yeah. such a loving soul. And, um, and, uh, and, and yes, I will have your back. Um, I will be looking out for you and not just me, millions, millions of us have your back, Kristen. And for anybody else listening to this, if you're sick right now with COVID, if you've lost somebody, um, if, if you're expected to show up to work or be fired, when you know maybe it's not safe to be at work, all of every, anybody who's suffered through this, people have lost their jobs that don't know they'll ever get their job back. Um, we all have to have each other's back. And, uh, and I thank you, uh, Kristen, for inspiring us uh, to do that. Thank you for uh, uh, wanting to chat and learn a little bit more about what I've been up to. And for your commitment to, you know, continuing to have my back, I, it, I mean, I think part of what's given me so much or a little bit of solace during this time period is what you were just talking about. There are many people willing to show up. And I think the one thing that we lack or what can be a barrier is just not knowing how to start. And I feel like what I have done over the course of the last few months is led from my heart. And I am so inspired to see others doing the same thing to honor their loved ones. And also in the, in the work to not have this happen to others. And so it is a beautiful world um, and worth protecting, but my golly, um, it's in danger. I think somehow we're going to come out on the other end of this. Uh, just fine, right? I do have hope. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's not a false hope. It's 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 generated uh, for me uh, by people like you and all the others who are out there in the streets. Those who've been fighting behind the scenes. We have the chance to do better than this. I, I look forward to that personally. Kristen, thank you for coming on Rumble uh, today. Uh, keep up your good work. And at noon uh, today, East Coast nine in the Pacific Zone, we'll remember your father. And all those who sadly had to die needlessly and make our own commitment to stop the madness, to stop this death, it does not have to continue like this. Thank you. Uh, God bless you. And Kristen Urquiza, everyone, thank you. Thank you. Okay, well, um, I'm going to collect myself here after that. And um, while I do that, maybe, uh, well, maybe this is actually a good time to thank my underwriter here for today. Um, I'm so grateful to the, the different uh, companies and uh, organizations that sponsor uh, this uh, podcast, and in particular to today's underwriter, Purple. You've seen them, right? The, the mattress and, and uh, pillow company. And I want to give them a wonderful shout out uh, for being there to support my voice and the voices of others on this podcast. Purple is, well, here's the deal. I got one of their pillows, and it's got a grid in the foam or the whatever that is that it makes up the pillow. And then this grid, apparently, this is what I found out later, because I, the reason I like the pillow is that, you know how you got to turn it over to get to the cool side? After a while, you got to turn the pillow over. 
this pillow is always on the cool side. Whatever side you're on is the cool side. Both sides are the cool side. So how'd they do that? What's the science of that? So I, you know, I, it's somebody <laughs> say, so here, I'll look this up. Anyways, uh, before you know it, they were underwriting our podcast, which I'm really grateful for, but also wanted to, you know, put a couple words in to you about them to, to check out what they've invented, uh, both with the pillows, but also with their incredible uh, mattresses. It's unlike anything I've ever felt in that uh, category of things. So. Thank you for figuring out the science of how we can get a good night's sleep, finally, in my case, at least. You know, this is the second time that they've been underwritten an episode. And so I've heard from everybody on the first time they, they got the pillow or some people have got the mattress now. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> so um, here's what you can do if you want to find out about Purple and if you want to support this podcast. You go to purple.com slash rumble10, and then there'll be a thing there. What's your promo code? And you write in. Rumble 10. You'll get 10% off any order of $200 or more. So that'd either be a lot of pillows or, or a great friggin' mattress. Okay. So you go to purple.com slash rumble 10, promo code rumble 10 for 10% off any order from purple, $200 or more. Back to the matters at hand here of what's facing the country. This week, we learn of the president coming down with the coronavirus, and then we learn he's being medevaced to the hospital, and now he's in the hospital. So we were told at first that there were some mild symptoms, and then they weren't so mild, and then he had a fever. Now there were moderate symptoms. Oh, he's just going to the hospital for a test. Now he's going to stay there for a few days. I mean, this story has changed on the hour. Now, this is what liars do. They <laughs> People who have a hard time struggling with the truth those of us who don't, we know that actually the best way to do anything, even the difficult things you have to say or admit to, is just lay it right out, right at the beginning. Lay it all out. Then you don't have to go back and correct anything. Not the Trump White House, though. They're, they're, they're like, they're changing the story back and forth. When did he first know, know that he had the, when, you know, did it happen before the debate? Was he asymptomatic at the debate and only came down with symptoms a, a day or two later? <coughs> Hope Hicks, that whole story. Now, they, now they're showing uh, on the news the event a week ago Saturday here uh, where they in, he introduced uh, Amy Coney Barrett as his pick for the Supreme Court. And they had everybody packed in like sardines in the Rose Garden. And, uh, you know, 9, 10, 12 People there have come down with it. Um, and now they're saying people at the debate on Tuesday came down with it. And now uh, Chris Christie has been hospitalized because he was doing the debate prep on Sunday and Monday last week. So they can't, they can't get their story straight as to when this started or how long he's had it, who he's been lying to. Very interesting at the debate on Tuesday. While all the Trump kids had their masks off there in the audience, not Melania. She kept that mask on the whole time. Because if, if she knew or they had suspected that he had it then, even though he had no symptoms then, she was smart enough to have that mask on. But we'll find out. You know, the press has been doing a good job lately finding these things out. And we're going to find out. You may have found out by the time you're listening to this. Four more mistruths will have been uncovered. So 
the premise of our podcast and the Facebook post remains true. It's just that it's so funny. Even I was saying to Basil earlier today that that we because we're not as smart as Trump when it comes to being an evil genius. So we wouldn't know really how to concoct all this. The fact that perhaps they weren't they weren't lying about the fact that he had COVID, but they were certainly lying from the get go about how he got it, when he got it, who he gave it to, what he was doing, what he was taking for it. Oh no, no oxygen, no oxygen. So we know, and then all of a sudden, then two hours later, yeah, yeah, he was getting oxygen on Friday. <laughs> Unbelievable. So much easier just to be honest from the beginning, don't you think? But not this crowd. So our point from our last podcast and the Facebook post remains true. Do not believe anything you're hearing. Nothing. Make them prove it. They still, they brought those 10 doctors out in those lab coats. I mean, half of them had to have been actors. Speaking of acting, that walk that Trump did from the White House to the helicopter, genius. You have to understand that he and I are in the same union. Screen Actors Guild. We're, he's still a member of the Screen Actors Guild. I, I think he may be the only president uh, to still be a member of the union. He was a, union, a member of before he was in the White House. I mean, obviously, Ronald Reagan was in the Screen Actors Guild, but he was not in the Screen Actors Guild when he was in the White House. But so I know a fellow member of the Screen Actors Guild. Screen Actors Guild, these are th this is the guild you join, the union you join if you appear in front of the camera. So this is everything from actors, reality show hosts, um, even uh, some news anchors. But they belong um, to SAG or to AFTRA. AFTRA is a, a, a the adjoining part of uh, SAG, which is sometimes often for TV and not, not for films, but but we're all they're all we all belong to the same union, and that was a brilliant acting job, walking across that little tiny piece of lawn to the helicopter. He walked so straight; he had to keep his focus. When the Marine salutes him, he doesn't salute him back right away. He doesn't even look at him, and then he remembers, "Oh yeah, I got to do the salute before I get to these stairs." But by that time, he's just saluting the stairs, not the Marine. And then he grabs onto both sides to walk up the three stairs into the helicopter. <sighs> and he was, oh, look how, look how good he looks. Look how he's like, and he's wearing a mask, which is very important to cover up any telltale signs of the fever that he already had. Again, masterful. It's why he lasted for 14 seasons on The Apprentice. And, and it reminded me that we've all been living in a four-year episode of the apprentice it's all fake he's right it's why he uses that word all the time because essentially that's what acting is right you're pretending to be something that you actually aren't in real life <laughs> and it was just it was a good a good acting job and and so he he takes off in the helicopter they never show that shot of it actually taking off. And this time, they, 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 you watch it go all the way up in the air, and it makes its turn, and it heads over toward the Potomac River to go up the river to head up to Bethesda, to Walter Reed Hospital. And the news helicopters, they have helicopters in the air because they're going to follow the helicopter all the way. When is the only time that you ever see them follow the presidential helicopter? You know, right? The day the president leaves office at 12.01, boom, gone. 
out of here. Some, some go to the inauguration. They sit there, listen to the inaugural address. And they got the helicopter right behind the Capitol building. You didn't have to go back to the White House. You just load them onto the chopper. And adios. It's gone. And they follow it. They follow the helicopter. They usually have taken the helicopter to the, um, to the base there with the plane. It's the only time. And my first thought, my first thought, I don't, I don't know if I should say this, when that helicopter went up into the air, I thought that's the last time we're going to see him at the White House. Now, of course, that's not true. Of course, by, Even as we speak here on, on Saturday night, he's going to get better. He's got the finest socialized medicine that we have available to us in the United States. Now, not all of us can ride a helicopter when we need to get to the hospital. That's okay, though. He's the president. But it was, I don't know, why did I have that feeling? Because it wasn't like I wasn't saying to myself, oh, that's it. He's going to go to the hospital and die. No. Um, even though they did say later on the news that because of all of his conditions, his age, his gender, his metabolic conditions with uh, high cholesterol and blood pressure, diabetes, and uh, other other heart issues that he has, that there was somewhere like around, you know, of those who get COVID at that age and with those problems and get hospitalized, 13, 15% of them die. And Zeke Emanuel, the doctor from the NIH, used to be at the NIH, who was on MSNBC last night, he said this. And he said it could be anywhere as low as 7% or it could be 13%, but he said that that's an awful number. He said, I used to treat cancer patients. I mean, you don't, you don't expect these days, depending on the kind of cancer, that percentage to just die and to die within days after being admitted to the hospital. So he said, I, I, I just hate having to state that number, but that's the truth for COVID-19, men of that age with those conditions. 11, 13, 15% chance. <sighs> it got quiet on the set, I could tell, after he said that. Look, anything we're being told now, we don't know. One doctor had to like two hours later reverse himself what he said. It wasn't really 72 hours ago. It was it was just a couple of days ago. And this, oh, it's just a big mess. And at that point, I just said, okay, I'm not listening to anything else. All I know is, is that I'm not being told the truth. That much I know. And usually whatever Trump says, it's the opposite. So if he says he's feeling great, he's not. You know, it, it's just start with that. Sorry to have to say that, but you know, you have to earn your trust. You have to earn the faith of the American people that when you say something, they believe it when you say that it's true. So we've just spent all these months listening to you call this a hoax, that masks are for wimps, and on and on and on. And in the last couple of weeks, we've had to listen to you threaten to not peacefully turn over power should you lose. You say that to us, those are fighting words. This is the United States of America. It's still a democracy, whether you like it or not. And for you to stand there and say, you don't know whether you'll leave if you lose. And then call out to your Second Amendment people, your gun people, to get ready. Get ready? Get ready for what? Everybody knows the code, Donald. 
all I want to say to people listening right now is just to, to remember, start with not trusting what you're hearing. Do your own investigation. Listen to alternative sources and be ready. Be ready as citizens. And keep in mind what your main job is right now. It's to make a plan to vote. How are you going to vote? And do it. Where are you going to vote early? Do it. Are you going to check your registration? Because on Monday, this Monday, tomorrow, Monday, on October 5th, there's 13 states that are going to shut down their voter registration. If you're not properly registered at the address that you're at, you could be prohibited from voting one month from right now. You don't want to take that chance. I've got a link here on the podcast page where you can check to see if you're registered. Start with that. Don't assume that everything's going hunky-dory. And, oh, yeah, I'm I've, I voted for years. Don't trust anything. Remember, what's our mantra right now? Trust nothing, especially when it's being run by this particular government. You have to check to make sure you're still registered. All you do is type in your address, your zip code, boom, they'll, you'll know in 10 seconds. If you're not registered, get registered. If you know people that aren't registered that you want to make sure you want to remind everybody, all your friends and family that live in one of these 13 states on Monday, and some of them are swing states. I'm talking to you, Ohio, Georgia, Florida, Nevada. The cutoff is Monday, tomorrow. Tell everyone you know. That's what we can do. We can't do much about Walter Reed or Remdesivir or, you know, the media will do its job. They'll tell us how this thing came about, what we're really being lied to. See, I never considered the fact that, well, yeah, would he lie about COVID-19? Of course he would. But, but is it, see, he's more, he's better at this than I am. He's an evil genius. He understood how to lie Tell the truth, but tell the lie. So the truth, perhaps, is, yes, of course, he has COVID-19, but then lie about COVID-19. Lie about how he has COVID-19. Wow. It's a, that's a layered sort of thing. That's you got to admit, folks, come on. We're not very good at that sort of thing. He starts out with the truth because he really wants to lie. Whew. How many has he killed? How many will die as a result of his behavior and his actions? This is so sick and so pathetic and so wrong. And he will get his comeuppance on November 3rd. That will only happen if all of us are active every single day. And on this podcast, I will give you other things that you can do between now and Election Day. So stay tuned. Please sign up. Subscribe. Share this with your friends and family. Follow my social media. I post things on there that are not in this podcast, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, go to my pages on all those because um, it's, a, it's a daily activity uh, of things I'm letting you know, things that are happening. My special thanks uh, to Kristen for being on this episode of Rumble. Bless her and everyone who has suffered through this. We're going to come out of this together. And we will end the madness by removing 
Donald J. Trump and his enablers. That's it for today, folks. This is Michael Moore. This is Rumble. And I'll talk to you very soon. Sick as this hammer and litany of sins Is banging and burning, I can't stand the din Sick as the darkness keeps seeping on in Sick to believe in my family and friends 